0: RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Well, there's an old saying, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And in the case of the gentleman I'm about to talk to, I think for us in broadcasting, particularly with a track record in commercial broadcasting, that old saying applies. And he is David Gapes, one of the founders of Radio Hauraki, I think into your 80th year now, David, is that correct? Welcome. Uh, yeah, that's right, Paul. Well, it's amazing. It's so long ago now. Does it feel that <laughs> like
1: that? It feels like a very long time ago, yes.
0: I had a look at um, some old pictures and I saw one of you and I thought, boy, you, you were a smooth bugger back in the day. You probably still are, but you, you looked like a smooth <laughs> operator back then. <laughs> You could probably sell anything to anyone. I was thinking. I'm, I'm not being, you know, uh, negative there. I mean, you know, and I suppose you, you probably needed to be persuasive to to do what you're about to do. You, you started off in journalism, is that right?
1: Yes, I started out as a cadet reporter at the Evening Post, um, and since then I've worked in newspapers in several parts of the world. Right. Funnily
0: enough, I've never worked for another radio station. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Is that
1: oh, it's a- always, I'm, I'm essentially a newspaper man, you know? Yeah. What What were those days and,
0: like working in newsrooms back then, you know, with the presses rolling and or about to roll, all those things? It must have been quite an exciting well, loved,
1: time. That was an exciting time. And for me, I loved it. And I look back on it with great memories, and it taught me a lot. And... um um, very fortunate, really. It was uh, quite an education because, of course, there was no radio or TV news, just right. just daily newspapers. There weren't any weekend papers back then; they came later. So I was essentially a, a typical daily newspaper reporter. I was covering courts, um, um, cops. Yeah and cops, that's what it came down to. The, and news and events like crazy and stuff
0: like that. There wouldn't have been much crime and, to report back then though, would there have been? Or maybe there
1: was? Maybe. That's a fanciful notion. There was plenty. It's just its just a lot more coverage given to it now. But yeah, there was a lot of crime back then. There was, you know, the normal stuff. Murders, burglaries, thefts. Um, every week, we went with a Photographer, that was the difference. You were getting photos. It's changed a lot now. It's, uh,
0: it's yeah. a golf fight. yeah. I, I saw a picture um, a while back, and it was outside the Evening Post building in Willis, Willis Street, isn't it? Yeah, in Willis Street. Yeah. And it was election night, yeah. and the whole street was packed outside the building waiting for the result. You wouldn't get that these days.
1: No, no you wouldn't and of course because there's was no radio news, the, the newspaper coming out was the first indicator of what had happened. Now you'd get, a, of course you'd get a news update almost by the minute on radio, yeah. not to mention the live coverage, but back then people relied totally on the newspaper to everything like that. So yes, it doesn't surprise me that I, kept, I the streets were full people, now you'd get they're glued to the TV.
0: Yeah, they're not in the streets <laughs> for that anyway. And and all the men were wearing <laughs> hats. They were all wearing hats. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about? Well, you you're someone to ask. you a great person to ask. What do you think think about journalism? Before we get on to Hauraki, what do you think about journalism, David? Nowadays.
1: And what? Uh, I think it's. Well, I have, I still have a high regard for journalists. I think their demands on them in many ways are much greater than they were on me because they've got to think about... Com- journalists these days have to think about the competition, not you know, other radio stations, TV and the newspapers. So everybody's looking for a scoop. Yeah. Funny enough, in the old days, there wasn't much of a scoop. You just got it, you know?
0: Yeah. So you, you weren't necessarily competing with the other... The other crowd down the road. Um, you, yeah, well, there
1: was the morning paper, at the Dominion, and the evening paper, at the Evening Post. That was the only competition, full stop. Right. And of course, twelve hours between the two. So, um, um, so I think journalists these days have a very, very difficult job, and they've got to be accurate. On on, on top of that, um, uh, upset. People take you to the court, take journalists to court pretty often. So you've got to think about the legals. Um, we were taught the legals during the cadetship, but they were pretty basic back then. I mean, it was pretty obvious you told the truth. Yeah. tried not to bullshit. Um, but... You uh, did anyway. Yeah.
0: Good old days. It anyway. <laughs> what, what, what was that? I missed that.
1: My wife said you did anyway.
0: All
1: right. But yes, yeah, these, these days you've got to worry about the legals much more than you did then because you've got real competitors and you've got, as well, you've got your readers and listeners and viewers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And well, people
1: are much more media. But people are much more media savvy now, and they're on onto the poor old journal, like a ton of bricks if they get it wrong. Even if they don't get it wrong,
0: they're on to them like a ton of it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a world away, by the sounds of things, um, that yeah. era. All right. When were you ever always or what point did you switch on to being interested in radio?
1: Well, of course, along with, as a youth, I was uh, very interested in rock and roll. Yeah. And, of course, the only radio stations back then were national radio, and ZB. Uh, and there was virtually no pop music on the radio or TV at all. Um, so I was into some very interested in rock and roll and I was amused to, uh, to note that there was no rock and roll on the radio back then. But uh, I'd been overseas and I'd heard overseas rock and roll in New York and that was very different on the radio. So that's what gave me the um, motivation for it. I thought, no rock on radio, let's start a radio <laughs> station. And I had a, had a mate who was a genius engineer that was Stock O'Callaghan and um, he knew how to build radio transmitters and uh, latticework towers and he was also a shipping engineer so he knew how to make, in- make diesel Generators work and all that stuff. So he had everything in one package. So, he, and I also had another mate who was a salesman, Derek Lowe, and
0: um, we'll see who was the other one. Was it Chris Parkinson?
1: Yeah, Chris Parkinson. Well, he was Derek's mate. He was right. Chris Derek, Derek used to produce radio commercials, and Chris Parkinson had the golden voice. So yeah, uh, he did. They were punks. So the four of us got together and said, let's start it. So uh, we asked Doc, can it be done? He said, yes, it can. Astonishingly, it still blows me away that it, that it can be and would be done. And so we miraculously did it.
0: So did did Doc, did he actually build the transmitter? Is that is that what happened?
1: Yes, he built the transmitter from start-up using... You know, he purchased all the parts, the transformers and the valves and the steel framework, but he bought it from scratch, yes. Wow. The one kilowatt transmitter.
0: One kilowatt. Well, I remember yeah. back when I was at uh, ZM in Wellington, we were on AM, and that was two kilowatts. So that that wasn't yeah. too bad. That was, that was reasonable power.
1: Yeah, one kilowatt, kilowatt was quite a lot of power. And, of course, we were 30 miles out in the Gulf. Yeah. But, of course, it was straight over water and um, radio signals carry extremely well across salt water. So it was just powerful enough to do the business.
0: Yeah, I remember Murray Ingalls telling me he used to listen to Australian radio stations in New Plymouth because the signal would bounce right across the Tasman.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, so New Zealanders knew that there was better on the you know music available on the radio, but nobody doing it. Of course, in those days, all broadcasting was... NZBC, New Zealand Broadcasting Corporation. Um, and that was government, a government entity. And nobody there had much interest in rock and roll or pop music, so it just got overlooked. Uh, there was the YC program. They had, Not YC, well, yeah, the YC, that was the classical station, which was bloody good, but it was classical. And... Um,
0: so the, our world I was said. I think we had the memes, we had the music, and we had the will to do it. Um, so, so, why why do you think the NZBC was so late to it? You, you said that they didn't sort of well, they didn't know about rock and roll. But I, I'm wondering also that if they did know about rock and roll, they probably would have seen it as sort of anti-social and not uh, not something they should be involved in.
1: There's probably a degree of truth in that, too. Most of the members and the people that ran the NZBC were, I wouldn't call them elderly, but they were definitely in the over-50s age group and wouldn't have had much interest in rock and roll anyway. And as you say, they probably thought of of it as a bit of a degenerative thing. So uh, (laughs) there was certainly no incentive to do it. We provided that incentive, and that's what happened.
0: So you've, you've got the, the um, skill base, you've, you, you know you can do it, uh, but there's the problem of getting a licence, right? Is that, is that what the, the big hurdle was?
1: There was no um, mechanism for getting a licence oh. back then. The legislation had to be drafted. So after Hauraki had been going a few years, the politicians finally got off their asses and drafted some legislation and passed it pretty quickly, and then we applied for and got the first license. And one of the first, there were two licenses issued for Auckland. And we got one of them, and that's when we started a few months later. Yeah. So they so there was
0: never any anticipation or forethought. Sorry, I've got a noise in the background here. Um, for um, you know anyone else ever wanting to broadcast, obviously.
1: <laughs> you got kids.
0: No, I got a siren going past. Um yeah. emergency vehicle, uh, I get them all the time. In fact, oh, switch switched the siren off now. Yeah, so what I was saying is, obviously there was no forethought or anticipation of any private operator, just wasn't in the thinking, uh, who might want to, to broadcast. It was what, always going to be the government in, in most people's minds at the, at the time, it sounds
1: like. I think there was no general movement for it. A lot of people would have been... An- uh, frustrated that they couldn't access more modern music on radio. But I think it took someone like us to get the pirate thing off the ground that gave people the thought that it could be done. And that's what changed everything. Um, once that legislation was passed, radio stations, essentially music stations, took over all, off all over the country
0: and were commercially successful, weren't they? Big time.
1: They were wildly successful back in
0: those days. Yeah, they still are quite successful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but you. you so this is your classic pirate stuff. You've you've got a boat, you've got a transmitter, you've got some people who can uh, put the business side of it together. So. Tell us about how, you know, th- those very early days started out. I mean you sailed out of what, the viaduct in Auckland, I think, at some point. And, and and where did you're out in the Gulf. Whereabouts did you actually, you know, sit? What what was the position? Did you have to be in a specific position to be within the law? We
1: certainly did. Um in those days there was what was called the three mile limit. And for those that don't know a mile is about one and a half kilometres, so there was um, New Zealand international waters extended all around, New Zealand waters extended all around the coast, but there was a triangle at about a square kilometre on the western side of Great Barrier Island towards Auckland, which was firmly in international waters. (laughs) which meant that the the authorities couldn't touch us. Uh, Of course, they tried to stop us getting, there was quite a lot of publicity in the beginning, so they tried to stop us and lowering the bridge and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, But we eventually got out there and Doc had made an incredible mooring arrangement with three huge anchors made out of CLRSJs and they were all linked by about a hundred meters of, um, chain. And that, that, the point where they came together, the chain went up to the, a big buoy on the surface. So the idea was when the ship rose and fell, it lifted the chain, the weight of the chain off the, was held by the ankles, but the weight of the chain acted like a big damper, you know. And, right. Uh, so we not only had safety, but we had a fair degree of flexibility as well. So it was a marvellous arrangement. We were in the Lee of Great Barrier, and we had a water pathway to Auckland. So it was tailor-made for us. And the other thing was, in those days, everybody that was even remotely interested in rock and roll and radio gravitated towards us. So we had all the, every dis or would want to be disc jockey in the world came mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. And we had a whole lot of engineering types and people knew about boats, people knew stuff that we didn't. So it was uh, it was an easy berth in many ways.
0: They tried to stop you getting out. On what basis?
1: Uh, well, of course, once we did the work on the Turi, the ship, we did it in the uh, Auckland Harbour, and that was in the, what was called, what did they call it, the Harbour Basin, but there was a lift-up bridge.
0: Yeah, I know the bridge.
1: At the the entrance to that. I think it's still there. It
0: is. Um, I've walked across it hundreds and hundreds of times, and many of those times I thought of you guys.
1: Yeah, well, when we finally came to sail, we had everything on the deck, you know, the mast all ready to go. No, the mast was up. And, of course, we're still in New Zealand jurisdiction, so the harbour authorities, for reasons, well, obvious reasons, but I don't think they had any legal basis. Once the ship sailed, they started to lower the bridge. (laughs) And and that jammed our mast, so we were stuck in the bridge. And then a bunch of the boys climbed up the uh, bridge and pushed the mast free with their feet. Pretty risky business, but yeah. we got a lot of Health and safety,
0: health and, um, and safety.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, amazingly, we, there was nobody lost in the entire three years at sea, except on the last day when we were coming back to land. We'd already got our licence and we were back on land. Um, one of our top broadcasters fell overboard. Yeah. I might add he wasn't, he might have had a, some sort of celebratory drink. But it wasn't a drinking ship. One of one of the things that made us made it work was this was an era before drugs and there was no drugs So there was no drugs on board and no drugs in the operation at all, not even marijuana. That all came later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and it was we were all sort of pretty serious about not drinking, so there was no drinking, very little drinking aboard. There might be the odd hip flask, but nothing serious. So yeah. there were very few accidents right. until Rick Grant fell overboard, uh, only a mile or two out, of, a kilometre or two out of Auckland Harbour.
0: Oh dear, yeah, um, <laughs> that's sad. That's sad to hear, um, and we remember yeah. him along with all the others who who aren't here. So it must have been an incredible feeling, excuse me, hitting the go button and starting to broadcast. It it, it must have been a, a feeling. I'm just trying to imagine how I would have felt in that situation. I probably would have been incredibly excited, incredibly elated that it all worked and, and with a great sense of achievement with it. Is that how it was kind of? I think it's
1: exactly how it was. And, um, We had a lot of friends. Everybody loved us. I mean, life couldn't have been better.
0: (laughs) And how did it work? Because I'm thinking, you know, turntables on water. Does that work? In what? Turntables floating around in waves on water. You know, they need to be really solid and steady. Um, So we, we... Uh,
1: we did use LPs and 45s, but mainly it was off tape. Real, to reel tape.
0: All oh, right, okay. So that, that would have been a lot more stable and reliable. So, what did you tape the yeah, records that, on shore and, and then bring the tapes out? Is that how it worked?
1: Yes, and we also taped some of the uh, DJ work on shore and brought those tapes out too. Mainly on the ship, we had um, one disc jockey and a newsreader. That was the. Um, and of course, we used to pinch all the news off. The opposition,
0: and uh, <laughs> that still goes on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but
1: nothing
0: changes. Yeah. No. And, and yeah. What? What? Um, what was the response like? How did you gauge, you know, the initial response and, and and the success you got from it? Because you know, were you taking phone calls? Could people ring the ship? I, I, I'm wondering about that. Were they write in, or are you just starting to hear people talk about what you're doing everywhere?
1: No, we didn't have email, and you <laughs> couldn't an bring email. the strip. Um, But we had a good ear to the ground, and, we, and the other thing that happened was the introduction of radio hierarchy to land also saw what well, I think it was the introduction of the radio dreaded radio survey. Oh, so right from right from the first few months, there were researchers in the field covering the numbers, and we knew right away we'd gone straight to number one with under 30-year-olds. The over 30-year-olds were that happy. Well, we didn't have the numbers here. We had the numbers among teenagers and 20 to 30-year-olds, big numbers. We were far and away the most listened-to station in that age group. So we knew exactly what was going The research gave us very good feedback as to what was going on and what was popular and what wasn't.
0: So anything to that market, you were always a buy for any advertiser in Auckland, right?
1: Um, Derek Lowe was an advertising genius and uh, he knew all the ad agencies and um, plenty of retailers like farmers and mm. they would ring up a book. We were just flooded with advertising.
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's like taking the lid off something, right, and just release <laughs> releasing it into into yes. the world, and, and and off it goes. That
1: was a pressure valve for other people. Yes, that were great days. I, uh, and of course, that coincided, yeah. that coincided with some of the greatest modern music yes. around. Yes. Uh, well, what was the, the first?
0: What was the first song you played, um, David? What was the? Can you remember the first actual song you know you played?
1: Well, you got me there. I can't. That should be part of the story. (laughs) 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 I'd have to get the book out and have a look, but um, 1967.
0: Would have been, yeah, it would have been, um, well. the
1: Beatles Beatles going in 1966. Yeah, pretty well. They've been
0: around for two or three or four years by that stage. But, you know, those were huge. The Mamas and the Papas and all of that, you know. Um,
1: Yeah, and you can guarantee that the first music we played was Beatles.
0: Right. Okay. Was there an emphasis on, on them?
1: Uh, there was an emphasis on that style. All right. And, and as you said, the Muppets and Papa's and the Rolling Stones, yeah. and, I mean, all the, all the names that are now legends, so we had all their music and catalogues. Um, but we were a top 40 station, so we tried to be modern, you know.
0: The record companies would have been happy, surely.
1: The record companies loved us. Yeah. Yeah, we had great cooperation from them. They'd rush the early releases to us. And uh as I said, you could do no wrong. It was just incredible looking back on it. Yeah. It seems so unreal.
0: Yeah, it's it's such a part of history, you know. You, you know, yeah. it really yeah. is. It's it, like part of the cultural history of the country.
1: Yes, it is. And mm-hmm. I'm very proud to have been a part of it. And I want to emphasize, although you're talking to me, there was a lot of talented individuals. I was the least talented. <laughs> All I could do was, was cover a court case. But um, we had clever broadcasters who were part of us and engineers. And yeah. these were some pretty inspiring Kiwis, and they made the whole thing happen. Number eight wire. Number eight wire, yeah, well, it's used a lot in men. Absolutely. Well, Pure ingenuity, yeah.
0: Um, Barry Jenkins told me um, the late Barry Jenkins. Now, isn't it sad that, that that we've lost a few recently? Yeah,
1: yeah, they're moving pretty quickly now. Barry Jenkins. Nice yeah, that up. was terrible. He was, he was a remarkable figure. I mean, uh, yeah, one of the great names of rock and roll. Remember Radio Pictures?
0: Oh yeah. Good evening, citizens.
1: <laughs> Good evening, citizens. <laughs> Yeah, an evening, they even call it radio pictures.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Good point, yeah. Uh, yeah. He told me a story. He said he was working for um, the NZBC, I guess it was back then, on the ZM yeah. station in Auckland. And because he, you know, is a pilot, private pilot, and he flew a lot, he flew the beach reports for, I think, ZB and and ZM. But what he used to do was also drop your tapes to you. <laughs> While he was doing that, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's yeah, that, so funny. that's all true. We had um, Doc, our engineer, built the stainless steel containers with rubber seals, and we put all the tapes there. And uh, if the weather was too rough to get a ship alongside, we'd drop them uh, with a boy, and they get hauled out by the lads on the boat.
0: So the delivery.
1: Very uh, yeah, used to deliveries, tapes. Sometimes, yes.
0: So, so the so the the government was paying for the delivery. Ultimately.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, that's so funny.
1: Uh, the old government. They were so cute. Those days, part the, the, the politicians. They didn't know how to handle us. They. We had lots of meetings with them. Yeah. And they. Uh, they were sympathetic in a funny sort of way. Um, uh. So we had virtually no enemies except the NZBC.
0: What What were those meetings like? I'm curious. You just mentioned that. What What was it like sitting down with the politicians of the day? Because they would have been World War Two era people, right?
1: Yeah, they were. They were typical Kiwis that had succeeded and become MPs. They were. They tried to pay attention to us. And they listened and they acted. I've got no complaint.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: But sitting down with them was pretty interesting. I mean, uh, in that regard, I was quite experienced because I'd talked and interviewed many politicians. And so I knew some of these people quite well. And uh, that was in my career as a journalist. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't that hard. It was just a matter of talking sense. You have this great demand for rock and roll, and nobody's satisfying it, and they knew it. It had to happen.
0: Something had to happen. Yeah. Um, so how did you deal with, I mean, you mentioned the way that you sort of like uh, moored the, the tirry with that sort of uh, chain um, and anchor sort of system with the boy, but you must have encountered yeah. some pretty rough weather at times. Right?
1: If the, if the weather got seriously bad, Uh, We also purchased the wharf at Trifina, which is the harbour on Great Barrier. And when the weather got too bad to um, stay at sea, we'd sail into Trifina and tie up until the weather improved. And, of course, we we continued to Yeah, I was going to ask you, that was the
0: next question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how would they know? They wouldn't They wouldn't know, would they?
1: I don't think they, they didn't know. They had no idea. No, I don't think there was much triangulation of going on to find where a radio station was located. Otherwise, they would have known. Uh, there was a conspiracy of silence around all that sort of thing. Nobody on the barrier used to talk about it, and we certainly didn't. So nothing ever came of the illegal broadcasts that we made, which were many. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and how often, often they'd go for a sail around the Gulf. On a fine day, they'd just up anchor and go for a sail and a swim and everything. But keep the radio pumping the whole time, you know.
0: <laughs> Did you have speakers on the deck?
1: Yeah, there's speakers everywhere. You could hear the whole thing. Yeah.
0: It's crazy to think that there's that little bit in the middle of the Hauraki Gulf back then that was actually international waters.
1: So- it is. It's so just that little triangle because you had the three mile limit around Great Barrier. Yeah. And you had a three mile limit around Coromandel Peninsula and the three mile limit around Carlisle and all those islands like that. So, as I said, there was just that one one square mile space. Just for right you. Adjacent to Great Barrier and Coromandel, which suited our purposes just fine.
0: So how strong was the signal into Auckland? It would have been pretty strong around um, closer to where you were in the Gulf, but how, how, how powerful was the signal into metropolitan Auckland?
1: It was powerful enough to reach most people. We could have done with more power, but um, it was good enough, particularly to people that live near water. And of course, Auckland, again, was the ideal city because there's so much water there. Yeah. So, um, so we got the signal out. As I said, we could have done more power. There's more power, but it was pretty good. If you lived on or near the beach, it
0: was loud. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, the terry struck grief in the end, didn't it?
1: Pardon?
0: The terry the, the came to a bit of grief at the end.
1: Oh, there was a couple of prangs, yeah, and the terry uh, came uh, to grief. Uh, all, and the mast fell over once and was repaired. Um, but again, no permanent damage, nothing serious.
0: I, I take it the vessel. There's nothing. Is there anything left of the vessel anywhere?
1: No, they both. Not that I'm aware of. Good question. Don't know. Because that would. That, that's I mean, a pity.
0: It doesn't exist. Because that would be now a treasure of the nation.
1: And not to mention, it was built out of hard cowrie timber. Both. Oh, wow. There were two turrets of course yeah 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 it was um no both um scowls, what was officially termed a scow, uh and they had we had four engines and um each one attached to a diesel generator as well as the propeller so we were generating a lot of power and a lot of energy so they're Grundy ships, but they were all made of hard carry. Three, in- I remember the planks were three inches thick.
0: Okay, yeah, that's that's pretty tough. Um,
1: and of course, when it went on the rocks, which it did once, carry's the best thing to have because it doesn't rip like steel; it just scars and scratches. Oh,
0: okay, and we
1: never we never actually got any holes or anything like that.
0: When when was it? When was it built? How old was it when you got it?
1: Uh, they were both built around um, the early 20th century. I'd say 1908, 1910, around then. They'd been used as freighters, yeah. mainly around the Gulf and around the coast. And when we bought them, they were nearing their used by date because the biggest steel ships were starting to come into force. So we were able to pick up ships like that really easily and really cheap. I think we bought bought both series for about $3,000 each.
0: Gosh, yeah. Well, even back then, that was a good deal, huh?
1: That was a good deal, yeah, Yeah, even back then, because they are perfectly seaworthy ships. Of course, we had to rebuild them with all the uh, technology and that, but the basic thing was very sound.
0: Did people come up in their boats and visit?
1: Oh, hell yeah. All the time.
0: (laughs) Did did they come on board? Were they welcome on board, some of them? Any of them?
1: Oh, they were welcome on board, yeah. When you were out there, you're all mates, you know? Yeah. The coat of sea and all that. So generally people were well behaved and the crew let them on board when it was convenient. And uh got lots of cups of teas and stuff out of it
0: uh yes, you would yeah, well Brent, yeah. They're bringing you know yeah teas and what picnic hampers out with them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'd make something on board the yacht and bring it on board, and Brilliant. um we all smoked cigarettes like crazy, so we sat around there and jagged out.
0: <laughs> I could just I could just see the scene. And you must have had some yeah. beautiful days, too, out there on the water. Some absolute it was stunts. It
1: out there, yeah. It was absolutely fantastic. And there was plenty of beautiful days, plenty of wild days, plenty of everything, typical Auckland weather, you know what it's like. Yeah. Where are you, where are you guys playing?
0: I'm in Wellington. We're all over the place, but I've just come out of uh, four and a half years living in Auckland, and I used to walk over that yeah. bridge every day to work. So, I, I, I like I say, I always used to, uh, you know, I'm conscious of the history there and I always used to try and sort of visualise the tirri going out through there.
1: I'd like to know more about you guys so I must do a bit of research on the radio because, I, yeah, I just found
0: where, the radio on the internet. We're the radio hierarchy of, of, of now.
1: It sounds like it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, and, and that feels good to say that. So w- when you get on land, now you're, well, you were a proper radio station anyway, but now, you know, it's, 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 it's like it should, should be, I guess, is a way of, of putting it. And the Hauraki name just keeps going from strength to strength. I've known plenty of friends of mine who've worked at Hauraki over the years, and, and they really put that as a notch on their career belt, that they were on Hauraki,
1: It's incredible that that brand has endured and it's so strong. Yeah, I'm really proud of that and proud of its Maori name and everything. I mean, we did so many things right without even thinking about the Maori name. Yeah. But these days it's most appropriate. And, um, yeah. But yeah, it's a hell of a brand, an enduring brand. And good on uh, the earnest of keeping it. Well, yeah. I guess I have to keep Well, you'd the,
0: never lose it, the, would you? you? You'd be crazy. Yeah, I think Hauraki and
1: rock and roll in New Zealand are almost
0: synonymous. Yeah. So um, the um, success keeps on happening in terms of uh, the business and, and um, the audience and everything. How long are you there before you go off and do something else?
1: How long what?
0: How long were you at Hauraki, you know, back on land? How, how much longer were you associated with
1: it? Well, I stayed a shareholder for many years, 10, 10 or 15 years, yep. eventually sold the shares to raise money and buy a house and stuff like that.
0: As
1: you do. So, ownership passed, and not just me, all the other, I was only a owner of about 15-20 percent. All the shareholders eventually um, dropped their shares off and made the quick bucks.
0: Yeah. So, you've mentioned a few names already. Excuse me, Um, already. Um, Any others that you want to make mention of? Um, I mean, so many well-known names, like I said just before, were on Hauraki. Howraki. Well, there was uh,
1: one female DJ, that was Truda. Yeah. Uh, Not Trudy or Trudy, I can't even remember that now. Uh, I'd like to remember the Peter Telling or Peter T, as he was known. Yeah. And Barry Jenkins, of course. Kevin Black. Um, Chris Parkinson. Female DJs weren't that plentiful then, and they still, I guess, they are now. Yeah. Yeah,
0: there's more now. Do you know
1: how yeah. many? Females, how many females you got?
0: Um, one, two, three. I think. Yeah, three. so about half the only only, only
1: qualification is you've got to be able to talk and love rock and roll
0: (laughs) yeah that sounds easy but actually when you get to it maybe not so much Um, yeah yeah. but um, yeah yeah, look I was only three years old when you did that so you know um, I only became conscious of all that later on but I would have loved to have been part of that oh my god we'd have liked to have
1: had you Paul
0: well, that's that's real nice of you to say, David. And you know, when I started off, I wasn't peeing in your pocket, mate. We are on the shoulders of giants, and people who do things make things happen. And what you did it will be part of our history. And like I say, I, I think it's a legitimate part of our cultural history. And those stories will be told for for many years to come. Many, you know, many years to come. Yeah, you
1: put it quite nicely. Thank you for that.
0: And how does it feel now, looking back over all those years? How what? How does it feel? Because it's, so, it's such a long time ago now, relative to most people, and you've had yeah, years well, and years to think about it. And um, uh, uh, you know, what are your feelings just just thinking back? Uh, obviously, that must be very nostalgic. Yeah, well, it's so long ago.
1: I don't think of them. I've got day to day life. Of course, about, of course. But every now and then you and might that. stop.
0: You might stop every now and then. Yeah.
1: Oh, every now and then I think about it, it a great deal of satisfaction and um, uh, I was up here to get I don't know how it came about well I do know how it came about but it was a meeting a fortunate circumstance that made it all happen and I'm very proud of it as I said
0: yeah it sounded, from what you've been saying in the mix of people, it sounded like it was meant to happen
1: that's what I was trying to say, yes, In looking at it that way, it was inevitable, really? Yeah, and I mean, the people over at radio I who are our opposition, they were thinking along the same lines, so there were others as well, and all the people at Y d, which is the forerunner of Zm I yes,
0: think. Uh, yeah, it was, yep, and that was yeah, my was my good. early years was on Zm, so I, I know about rock and roll radio, but later on, um you know, give yeah. it another fifteen or so. No, more than that. I would have been, um, you know, getting on for 20 years after that, but I've never lost that love of it.
1: Yeah, good on you, mate.
0: Okay, it's been great talking to you. David Gapes, founder of Radio Hauraki, one of four. I think it's, are there were four of you at the start, main players, right?
1: We, caught, we, <clears throat> we characterized ourselves as a gang of four, but really there was 20 or 30 of us right from the very early days. Yeah. So the four, four the four with the original four directors. Yeah, they were the core of it, yeah. yeah. And um, they're, they're still all around today, I aren't mean, they? Derek's still here. I
0: think uh, Chris, Chris Parkinson passed away, did he? Yeah, he's
1: dead, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dot's, still, Dot's still alive and well. I'm still going. Yeah, obviously. i am now, uh, <laughs> I'm now uh, run a website about marketing and advertising. Oh wow! Which puts out, puts out a daily newspaper and satisfies my need for journalistic outlet, because it's essentially a journalistic exercise that is. and I, we sell ads on that. Do you but want to, it? Has, life for me, hasn't changed that much. Do you want to Except give us? I'm a
0: one man. Sorry to keep jumping over the top of you, David. Do you want to give us the web address for that so our listeners can go and have a look?
1: MAD daily, that's M plus sign daily, and MAD stands for marketing, no, MAD stands for media and advertising.
0: Cool. Well, I want to thank you for um, m- making a bit of time for us to uh, talk to us on Reality Check Radio. It's been uh, really interesting uh, listening to what you have to say to recount that bit of our history, and uh, I wish you all the best.
1: It's been a great pleasure, Paul, and. Um, all of this with your
0: effort, too. Thank you. And I, I think I, I think it's going to be like you. <laughs> it's just going to get, get bigger and bigger, right? right? That was a lovely conversation. I appreciate the time. Yeah, mate. Great pleasure. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.